0: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
1: Hey, everyone. Jared Sandler with you. Episode 28 of the Justice Sec podcast is on its way. And today I bring you a conversation I shared with NBC's Meredith Land. Now, maybe more than any time recently, I think people have been glued to the news. The news has had certainly a lot to discuss. And for several years, Meredith Land has been one of the comforting voices and faces that has brought you the news. With Meredith, we talk about her journey to the DFW area, spending time in Afghanistan, dealing with being a parent, with the time commitment of motherhood and Well, we also talk about her really good friend, Emily Jones. I had never met Meredith before and really enjoyed getting the chance to speak with her. I know my wife Instagrams her all the time. Uh, You can find Meredith's Instagram landline news where she gives some updates and she's really responsive there. But I had never talked to Meredith and I was really excited to get the chance to do so. That's coming up in a second. Just want to remind you, uh, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's free. Uh, I'm not going to bug you. You're not going to get constant notifications on your phone about any of this stuff. Would also appreciate if you would like uh, this video. And, hey, comment, interact, engage. This is a conversation, right? Would love to hear from you. If there are certain things that uh, you'd like me to ask potential guests, maybe if you have guest ideas, I'm all ears. Would love to interact with you. Uh, You can certainly do that in the comments section below. But, alas, it is time. Here is episode 28 of the Justice Sec podcast, and today we chat with NBC's Meredith Land. All right, Meredith, general question. It's a lazy question, but I always like to start with this. You can go in whatever direction you'd like. What was Meredith Land like growing up? Uh, what were your interests? What were some of the things that, that stood, about you, stood out about you when you think back to your childhood?
0: Well, what's funny, and nobody believes this, because now that I talk for a living, um, I was actually a painfully shy child. So, I mean, all the way through elementary school, middle, even high school, I was very shy. And I didn't really come out of my shell until college. So, if you had told me that I would have to get in front of a camera or a live audience as much as I do, I would have just said, hell no. Absolutely not. I'm not... That is not me, but I was also very disciplined, so I was a ballerina, and I danced professionally through um, middle and high school, so I guess I was disciplined, and I could perform on a stage, but just not speak, so my my friends laughed that, that this is my career today.
1: So how did you, did you just outgrow it? Was there like a moment where you got in front of a, an audience, and you... you... Kind of overcame the, the fear, the shyness, or did it just some? Is it something that just sort of unfolded over time?
0: Well, it's funny because I see it in my son, and he's very quiet and he gets really shy around people. Of course, he's not that way at home. Um, but I remember distinctly my senior year of high school. My best friend said to me, because you know you'd start going out to parties and whatnot, and she said, "You know, Meredith, people think you're a snob." And I said, "Really?" because I wasn't, you know, and she said, it's because you don't talk, and so people just think that you are snobby, and if you don't talk, people are going to always think that, and so I, it really hit me hard, and I thought, I guess I'm going to have to really make some efforts here <laughs> to push myself out of my shell, and so I really did. It was kind of a turning point, point. and in college, I felt like I kind of grew, grew up a little bit and um, kind of became who I was, but I mean, even my junior year i took public speaking i went to clemson university and i got like a b minus i mean it was not my strong suit so again it's kind of hilarious that this is what i'm doing
1: now you you mentioned you were a a ballerina a professional dancer How, how did you get into that and and what were some of those experiences like So
0: I, you know, I started just like every other little girl in just the little peewee ballet class that you do, but I loved it. And I loved it and loved it and loved it. And my mom says that I would dance around the house and break lamps and break everything. But I just, it was all I thought about constantly until my mom realized, well, she's really into this. And back then, there weren't tiger moms the way they are today. Like those dance moms did not exist. So my mom just had no idea. So she enrolled me into more of a serious um, ballet preparatory school, and I would dance even in elementary school three, four hours a day. It's all I wanted to do. I remember just being in class and just in my mind, not listening, you know, to the teacher and just going over these dances, you know, that I these routines, I guess that I've been taught classical ballet. And taking tests to get, you know, the big moment is when you get your point shoes, those, you know, hard shoes that you dance around on. And that was the big moment where you take this huge test. And um, it really taught me discipline and working for something and going for it. And, you know, the fear that you're not as good as others, but you can push through. And the stage for me was an outlet. So I could become, portray someone else that I was not and be out of my shell because it wasn't really me. You know, it wasn't Meredith. It was, um, you know, Clara and the Nutcracker, which I I was that year after year. Um, But it was great because I was around people of all ages and races and socioeconomic groups, and those were my friends, and we would travel and perform together. And it was was great because I grew up in kind of a little bubble. I went to an all-girl school. But my escape was um, the four hours a day at ballet where I was just with all kinds of people that really, I think, shaped who I am and made me more open-minded and gave me that kind of worldview that that I desperately needed.
1: Was there ever a point where you thought, like, this is what I want to do for my life, like, for the next 30 years, I want to be a dancer, or was it always more just uh, a hobby that you happen to be really good at?
0: I totally thought that I would go to Juilliard and that would be my track. And then my senior year of high school, I realized I had missed it all. You know, I never played a sport. Like, probably the worst thing you want to hear. (laughs) I never, never, you know, everyone played volleyball, basketball, and tennis. And I never had any of that. That's my only regret is that I don't know how to play anything. Like, I can't play tennis. I don't know how. (laughs) And it was ballet. You don't just pick it up like a racket. You know, once. Once it's over, you're not in shape anymore and you don't do it. But, um, but no, I just remember thinking I can skip this college thing and go the professional route for a few more years because you only have a few more years, right, much like football players and all that. Your body changes and ages, and, um, and so you have this window. But my parents re- really thought I should go to college, and I'm glad I did, when when I did, you know, because if you go back later, it's not quite the experience that maybe you had when you went in with everybody else. And I had done it. I feel like the life lessons that I learned and just, just the the lesson of going for it, you know, even if you fail, it was, it was every day in ballet. And I, my mom and I always say that, that. That's the reason I have been able to be successful in a career is just that drive early on and knowing that, You know, you just go for it, and you might fall, and you might literally fall on a stage of ballet, and I did, but you get back up and you just keep going. So I think it was as much as I needed, and it was time to move
1: on. Okay, so you mentioned going to Clemson. Uh, So first of all, I go on an annual college football trip every year, and the first trip we went to was to Clemson. And it was the yeah. year they won the national championship with Deshaun Watson. Uh, we oh, happened yeah. to go to a Clemson-Syracuse game. It wasn't really much of a game, but the experience was amazing. So I'm jealous that you got to <laughs> go to Clemson, uh, and I imagine maybe spend some time at uh, what's it, uh, Esso Club? The ESO Club is that right? Oh
0: yes, the SO. There okay. you go.
1: Okay, I, I, I vaguely <laughs> I vaguely remember that for a few reasons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what what was your what was important from that experience? I guess you know you with your upbringing and and tied to dance and kind of what you just talked about maybe you, you didn't experience what uh, a high schooler would normally experience so what was so important and, and what were your big takeaways from your time at Clemson
0: you know so I grew up in Charleston South Carolina went to an all-girls small school um, live in kind of this little bubble other than ballet there was everything was kind of the same all the time a lot of our a lot of us grew up that way um, in our own little bubbles of life. Um, but Clemson, for me, it was you know, it's a state school, and my friends were girls from all over the state and small towns, and they were there to get their degree and to work. And a lot of them were on scholarships, and you know, came from humble means and humble beginnings, but were just so well-rounded in a way that I would never seen people be great values um, good moral fun gal don't get me wrong but um, serious about school and knowing that this is it the college is my um, experience but it's also my opportunity to get the education and, and become a nurse or and all of my friends from Clemson are wildly successful in their own fields you know whereas I feel like in my bubble back home They always kind of knew they could lean on their family or move back in. These gals were like, I need to, this is four years to figure out my career. And they all did. And so um, for me, it was just a good opportunity to get to know people from small towns and just a different mentality than what I grew up around. And it was really inspiring. I think the people that you choose to be around at any stage really do shape who you are. you know. And, And I'm so grateful. Clemson was just such a nurturing place um i you know deep south football games were fun <laughs> uh, but i mean just a professor of the professors and just the, the level of attention that you get and the trust and i don't know there's just something about that place that uh felt like home and and really shaped who i am today
1: so i i don't maybe i'm speaking out of turn and saying this but you know we've already talked about uh growing up shy growing up dancing and your time at clemson it seems like i don't know if this is just in retrospect or if this was something that you were able to do as these experiences were unfolding but it, it seems like you're able to look back on these experiences and, and not just say yeah dancing was so much fun i i enjoyed it but like actually look beyond the surface and uh get perspective and and what the takeaways were is that something have you just always been that way is that something that as you got uh, you know, later in life, you were able to look back and, and have those thoughts, or was there someone that influenced you early on that was like, hey, like you know, whatever you do, uh, always try and see the bigger picture.
0: Hmm. Well, I think in hindsight, you know, I've sat down and thought about uh, like Clemson Magazine inter- interviewed me and. and- you really get your real spinning of, like, how did I become this person from point A to point wherever I am now, Z. <laughs> um, but, no, I just think, you know, looking back and being introspective about the events that shaped me is kind of where I am. But um, I did have mentors along the way that helped pull me up, and I think that is the most important thing. And I teach, like, young journalists that come into our newsroom. You, you really – don't learn in college how to scale the ladder. You don't learn in college about the politics of a newsroom and how to navigate that. The things that you say to your boss and the things that you don't say. And, you know, you go to the car and you cry. You don't do it in the meeting or whatever it is. And you always have your hand raised. You know, you're always willing to do whatever, whenever, um, to cover a story. And so I think just a lot, I think a lot of it was luck. I think I loved ballet um, and that was something that sparked um, energy and drive in me. And I think that propelled me toward other things. But I, I don't know. I think life is a lot of luck, but it's a lot of mentorship. Um, and it's a lot choices. You know, the choices that you make. I think had I gone on and, you know, passed high school and danced professionally and not had that Clemson experience, Would I be here now? Maybe not, you know. But making the most of each point in your life, I think, is so important. And I see that in interns. We have interns that walk in our newsroom. Some are on, like, Instagram all day and don't really care. They're just kind of getting their ticket punched for the semester. We have others that are just full go for it. They ask a million questions. They want to tag along you know, I'll do a stand up on camera, they'll ask if they can, and they just have that drive, and that nerve to just go for it, you know, and that's kind of the difference in the two people that really succeed and those that don't.
1: Who You mentioned some of the mentors you had, who were some of those people and in what ways did they maybe specifically impact you?
0: Um, well, I guess early on, my mom was, was a mentor of mine, and she was somebody who, um, sorry, I'm moving, moving away from, <laughs> we're all under the same roof in the pandemic, so I'm trying to find <laughs> spaces where I'm not annoying somebody. But um, no, early on, my mom was definitely my mentor and somebody who always believed in me and told me I could do anything in the world I wanted to do. I just believed and did it and worked hard. And then, of course, I had a mentor within ballet um, that that really pushed me along and and taught me things, you know, within the craft and just um, emotionally and all that, too. And then when I was an intern at Channel 2 News in Charleston, South Carolina, my junior year of college, I just did like a summer internship, the main anchor just took me under her wing. She was at a point where she didn't want to work as hard, so she said if you'll go out and you'll shoot all my stories and log them and write them and put them together I'll voice it you know I, you can be my you know little producer for the summer and so you know she would kind of teach me about writing and editing and how you know what looks good on TV and and that kind of thing and um and so I really got that hands-on experience that summer and I just idolized her. I just thought she was Nina Sossaman, had, had hung the moon. So, I mean, I guess all along the way, I had mentors. And even when I got to Dallas um, at Channel 5, uh, a mentor was in the newsroom.
1: So, uh, I, I guess, and I could be wrong. So, you said junior year was the internship, right? Yes. Okay.
0: And that's actually a really good story, but I don't know if you have time for it.
1: No, I will go ahead. I I can't turn down a good story.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, so I'm a rising senior at Clemson, right? So I'm in my hometown of Charleston. I've gotten this TV internship with the NBC station. Hurricane Floyd was a category five hurricane that was headed our way at the end of the summer. I'm getting ready to go back to Clemson. Um, and as it neared the coast, a lot of the reporters, and this is Market 105, so, you know, we're not talking a top-ten market, said, I'm not going to risk my life and stay here and cover this hurricane for this little piddly station. So a lot of them just left and just cut, cut out. There uh, I was. I had grown up, you know, in Hurricane Alley in Charleston. And I just sort of raised my hand. I said, well, I'm happy to stay and help. I mean, my parents were evacuating the peninsula with my sisters. And they said, we'll use any help. Why don't you do traffic? So I-26 was the main drag out of Charleston to the upstate. And they gave me a photographer, a live truck, an earpiece, and a microphone. And there I w- there was along I-26. And what ended up happening was the hurricane missed Charleston. But the story became the traffic out. The governor never reversed the lanes out of Charleston. And so people sat in traffic, like, along this I-26 for, some of them, 18 hours. I mean, you had people using the restroom on the side of the road. You had older people on dialysis that were in real trouble. Um, and so <laughs> there I was in the middle of the biggest story, <laughs> um, I guess, in, in the state and really actually in the country at the time, which was the um, the horrific traffic and the, the people were getting really sick. So I'd go from car to car on this live shot, just totally naive, had no idea what I was doing, and people would cuss. <laughs> I knew you couldn't do that, so I'd just run to the next car and say, how long have you been here, you know? Um, and the local radio stations all dubbed me Hurricane Hottie, which I hated because I wanted so badly to be such a serious journalism. A journalist, but, of course, today I would love it. <laughs> 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 Not that I'm old, but, um, but after that, um, the general manager called me into his office and he said, well, you're terrible now, but one day you will be really great. And he was like, I, I want you to finish out your year at Clemson and you have a job here as a reporter if you'd like it. So, I mean, it was just kind of an early example of, you know, just stick your neck out, you know, do it, make yourself, you know, push yourself to do it, raise your hand and say, I can do, you know, I'll do whatever. And a lot of times employers just want that. They want somebody who cares that, that, that give a, give a crap factor is so valuable. So that's how I got my start.
1: So it's funny that you shared that story. Cause that was going to be my next question. i had read that you, you at one point said that a hurricane is what Gave you your first break, and and lo and behold, that's the story that you ended up sharing. Now, I also read that you wanted to do, you wanted to write for a, a travel magazine. I think at one point. So, how how did you? Like, what was it that that made you kind of transition and think? Actually, you know what? Uh, this is actually what I want to do. What you're what you're doing now, and, and what you did through that internship. At what point did you make that transition and what was so appealing about this particular line of work for you? Well, it
0: was so weird because I never thought I wanted to be on camera. I didn't think that I was good enough or, you know, had the words to speak, you know, for a live audience. And so I thought when I got the internship, well, I'll just learn to write behind the scenes. I'm never going to be the person out there on camera. Um, And so I think just in pushing myself to do it during that hurricane, I kind of fell in love with it. It's like you get to be the person at the center of the story that's telling the public what's going on, and it was just so exciting. And in a lot of ways, you know, it's just you, a photographer, and a live camera. You don't really see the audience, and so that intimidation for me isn't there. And so I got to go out each day, and I walk into work, and I don't know where the day would take me or every day is different in journalism and in TV news and the people that you get to meet, and the stories you get to tell. And, and I think what I really fell in love with was that you meet real people. You know, it's so easy in our lives. And I'm not saying this from a BS perspective. I really mean that when I say, you know, we all kind of find our little pockets of the world and our little bubbles and, And that's okay, and there's security in that, but journalism has provided me the opportunity just to meet people from all walks of life and to keep that compassion chip alive and that perspective, that world perspective and community perspective. And I think, I mean, I didn't know it going into it. I just went into it because it was exciting. But um, looking back and where I am now, that's what I'm most grateful for is the people
1: and And you're now at a point where you uh, you're a, a part of the fabric, i guess of of the dfw metroplex and And I was sharing a story with you before we started. my my wife is is a way bigger fan of Meredith Land than she is of Aww. me and but she feels like you know you help connect her to what's going on. and I know. It, it, it it's probably not an apples to apples comparison, Meredith. But when I one of my jobs before I was able to move back to Dallas, I, I did sports talk in Michigan. And one of the biggest challenges I had was, I, I guess, becoming a part of you know what what it meant to be a, a Michigan sports fan and the various teams, and and really understanding what it was like to be a, a Michigander or someone who grew up in Detroit and that was so challenging, way more than you know, learning about the Michigan sports teams and, and the information I needed. Was that a challenge for you when you would move to a different market and especially when you came here to, to really understand what it meant to be a Texan and what it meant to uh, you know grow up in Dallas or Fort Worth or one of the surrounding areas?
0: Oh, my gosh. I was terrified to move here. I mean, I started in my hometown of Charleston, which was Market 105, and to give you some perspective, we are – believe we're four now in Dallas. So um, an agent got me here and I came for the weekend morning show and I just thought, I am not ready for this. I mean, there's no way. Who have I fooled into thinking that I actually can handle a big market and not just the city of Dallas, but it was like this huge metro area I had to know Fort Worth and growing Collin County which of course is huge and exploded now um, and just to learn each community and the way it ticks and the Fort Worth versus Dallas you know kind of war that forever has gone on and just Texas right I mean the pride um, in Texas and just the whole the culture right you know just the Tex-Mex it was just so exciting when I moved here and and many people when I was when I moved here were just from here they were just through and through Texans but what I've seen over my 16 years um, in this market and reporting in it is how much it's changed like so many people are like me they're from somewhere else, they're transplants. They came here for opportunity for their families. They came here because the cost of living was so good. You know, you could live in this really vibrant city, but also you could live well. Um, and then just the little communities that you would you find, and you find your bubble, which, like I said, is a good thing. Um, but yeah, it took years to learn Texas. And even now, the way it's evolving, you, we have all these people moving from California and all over the place for opportunities, and that's so exciting. So, it just changed, right? And it's ever changing, but I feel like it hasn't lost the culture um, that I fell in love with when I got here 16 years ago.
1: The the culture here is is way different than Afghanistan, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> you spent a couple of weeks uh, for a story that that led to. Uh, a lot of recognition and awards. Uh, what what was that like? Uh, and 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 if you don't mind, what like how how close to the the scene of everything going on were you? And and how did that all come about? And what was your Afghanistan experience?
0: When I you know Charleston, South Carolina has an Air Force base, and there are families that live. You know they they move from Uh, base-to-base, but uh, we did a lot of reporting on the Charleston Air Force Base. So I got to know a lot of the the top brass. And I would always joke that, you know, I wanted to go on one of the big missions with them. And then when Operation Enduring Freedom was going on, of course, post-9-11, pre-Iraq, I just, I would ask, I would call about weekly and say, is there a mission? Can I go? You know, I don't even know if NBC would let me or... (laughs) I just was like always trying to get to do something like that, right? Something different. And so finally they said, you know what? We are going to send a a C-17 through Germany and then ultimately to Kandahar, Afghanistan. We're sending a bunch of troops there. um, And we will let you go and the newspaper go. And so me and the photographer, we went on a C-17 through the night. The most fascinating Experience in my life, and I didn't really know what to expect when we got there. I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be on the front lines," you know. We really weren't. We were on the base, and what you learn is, you know, people have all kinds of jobs when they're in a war zone. So you could just be the guy that's monitoring the generator needle, or you know, you could be a cook, or you, you know, there are all these things which you're you're sitting here thinking, "Duh!" But when I was 24, 25, it was just so eye opening. I remember walking to one of the porta potties on the base and these two young guys, you know, troops came up to me and they said, ma'am, ma'am, can we ask you a question? And I said, yeah. And they said, are you a Dixie chick? (laughs) They were so used to having like entertainers come. It's like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, you know, they always go and entertain the troops. But no, we lived in tents and we told the everyday stories of Charlestonians. Um, of what their life was like from, you know, dusk until dawn. Um, We did go out into the fields in armored vehicles for humanitarian missions where we would give um, MREs, Meals Ready to Eat, um, to villages. And and we saw children, you know, a lot of poverty and, and mothers, and they would come up and they would trust us, you know, which was so interesting because what you would hear in the media at the time was how much, the U.S. had invaded, and they, you know, the Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan hated having us there. Obviously, they were living in fear. But no, there were so many good things going on. There were so many great humanitarian missions, and so many wonderful things that we were doing as a country to to help the, them. Um, not in all, of course, the Taliban and the pockets of of horror and terror that were also going on. I was not a part of those missions, but. Um, no, yeah, I mean, I was there for two weeks, three weeks, and it was right before Christmas, and we didn't know when we'd get back. I mean, I remember we were, like, set to come back uh, home, and then they had to bump us because a group of special ops, that's right, special ops forces had to get somewhere, and so it was like, we had to wait another few days. It was, you know, it's not like hopping an American Airlines flight, you just kind of had to see if you could get back and that was a little scary. But um you no, know, you'd go to sleep and you could hear explosions in the background and but I think when you're young, when you're in your twenties, young twenties and you're just so thrilled to be along for the ride and you don't have a whole lot. You know, you don't have a husband or kids, you know, you just it's exciting. You're kinda of stupid, right? You just <laughs> you're there for the experience. But by far probably the best story i've ever told we ultimately put together like a 30 minute special it was so comforting to the people back home it's like because they never can see what it's like for their loved ones who go over there they just send them blind you know not knowing what what will be and so that was exciting too to, to be able to share that story with the families who live on that base
1: Yeah, that must have been an amazing experience it was cool uh, really cool y- you mentioned earlier that you know it- your life, I, I don't want to misquote you, but you, you talked about the decisions that you make uh, mm-hmm. and, and the choices you have. So you gave up the the 10 p.m. anchor position uh, a few years ago. And for people who aren't familiar, I mean, that is a highly coveted position. Uh, and I want to get into that in a second. But uh, generally speaking, how do you balance being a, a parent, a spouse, a, a friend with the demands of your job?
0: Gosh, I just, some weeks I feel like I'm nailing it and others I'm like, this is a complete failure at all of it. You know, I don't think anyone has it figured out ever. And so you just try and do the best you can. And the older you get, the more you value true relationships. And those are the ones that you hold close and you realize that you can't be all things to all people anymore. And that you do change and people change and friendships change and, a lot of the friendships I have are because of the industry um, and the experiences that I've had. And, But I don't know. I mean, I've just sort of taken it one year at a time. My goal was always to be the main anchor in a major market like this, especially in NBC owned and operated. I mean, who would have thought? I, I certainly don't think. I think it's a lot of luck and just timing and frank, frankly, drive. Um and playing the right political games, right? <laughs> but, um, no, I, you know, it worked really well when they were young and I would do the nights because, look, kids go to bed so early and, you know, 7 o'clock, right? But the older they got, and I, my daughter's 10 and my son is 7, everything started to get later. So I was missing the dinner hour and then I was missing sometimes the late sports, and that soccer game at 6 o'clock or seven o'clock even now. And I had done the 10 for almost a decade. And most people ride that pony as long as they'll have you, right? You know, because it's, it's a great living and, and the opportunities and you've worked your whole career to be there. But at the end of the day, I just thought, I don't want to look back and say, well, I was on TV. I mean, <laughs> But I missed everything. You know, what? what's really worth it in life? So how how long do I have to do this for it to be really so more satisfying? I kind of felt I did it. And I felt, you know, that I'd be a better human if I stepped back and um, was more of a listener to my kids and my, my family than, you know, just some big star that they got to watch on the TV from the dinner table, I and mean, what's the point of that, right? So, always just along the way reassessing. And I'm really, I'm really close with my mom. And this decision was there were many options on the table for me, and they were really great to me. I think they thought, "What you're gonna give this up?" You know, but they were incredible, and they realized um, we need to let her do what she what she wants to do. And my mom really said to me and it resonated she's like but you've done it you know so you do it another five years is that really gonna like ring the bell for you like are you gonna be that's that's just gonna do it another five years I mean you've done it a decade so like you did it and I was like that's so true so after she said that the decision was pretty easy and it was made that I um you know just step back for a time and and I even said to the head of the NBC station group who's a really strong woman I said I just think it has to look different like I think historically for women especially in TV you know you do you hang on and you ride the pony as long as it's going because you know that younger and cheaper and prettier and skinnier is walking through the door for your job and so you just sort of hold on but I mean, I really do think that you should be able to lean out for a few years in the years that your children need you in those, like, middle and high school years. You know, then they're gone. And They're gone. You're an empty nester, and maybe you dip back in more then because you didn't lose your value. You didn't lose your skill, right, if you kind of keep a toe in the door. She was like, I know, and that's just – it's so right, and that's the way we need to be, right? We don't need to, like – Get bumped out for younger and cheaper all the time, right? Like you're still valuable and you bring something to the market. The market thinks so. I'm rambling.
1: No, th- this is like so, <laughs> Meredith. Full disclosure, like, and and you know, I, I obviously don't have, you know, the. the I, I think like younger and cheaper that you know that that I guess would apply at some point to all of us. I, I'm not going to sit here and act like as a man. I deal with the same maybe material judgments that uh, that a a, a woman might, but like I know for me, like I love hearing you talk about that and and, and people who've maybe made similar decisions because you know right now I I work in baseball where you know they're they're from February through September and hopefully if the team's any good you know through October I'm gone almost every night and I don't have kids yet but I want kids and I want to be a part of their lives and it's something that I think about and it's just really cool hearing people who maybe have similar challenges uh, at a, a professional and, and familial crossroads kind of go through their decision. So I appreciate you sharing that and, and, and not rambling at all because it's it it's not an easy decision. It's it's certainly not one that I think uh, uh, yields a, a quick 30-second answer either.
0: Right. Well, and I also think along the way, and one of my first mentors, I mentioned Nina Sossaman, that main anchor in that first Charleston market that I was her intern, um, she told me a long time ago, she was like, don't always get stuck in your your schedule and what you do and for you it'd be the season and the team. You know, always have mentors without outside of what you're doing. And, and, just, and, and so what I started to do over the last really just five years is to take people that I admire to coffee and just sort of pick their brains and ask, like, where, you know, Look at me, look at my career, because a lot of times we get stuck in this rut where we see ourselves one way in one dimension, and this is what I do, but like people have all kinds of ideas about you and what they think your value is and what they think you could do and add, and it kind of opened up my mind to other opportunities that seemed really exciting and to have another chapter would be so exciting for me, granted I'm not going anywhere, Um, but I've done a lot of things. It's like always stepping out of your comfort zone. So I've started this news feed on Instagram called the landline, um, a play on my last name Um, and it's in my Instagram stories. And it's basically just the news of the day, no politicizing, just the facts. And it's been really, it's grown tremendously in the pandemic because I think people, they are just so stressed out. They've lost jobs. They are homeschooling. You know, all of it, right? Um, And they can't turn on the news. They don't want to hear the politicizing of how did the president handle, you know, what is the CDC saying? Just give me the facts. Like, give me the numbers. Tell me what's happening. When is Governor Abbott speaking? What's he saying? You know, and so I have really just kind of stuck my neck out and, and started this news feed. And it's been exciting for me. Has it been hard? Yes. You know, did my sister say this is embarrassing? Like, why are you doing this? And who knows what will be, right? What what it will become? I mean, I certainly have goals for it, but just playing in a different space, you know. Just and, and actually, Charlotte Jones is one of my very best friends. She's of course VP at the Dallas Cowboys, um, and and really has just been a very very strong friend and confidant over the years. When I told her I was leaving the ten, I took her to coffee. And I was like, I have something to tell you. Like woman to woman, you're gonna be disappointed in me. And I she's like, What? And I was like, I'm giving I'm giving up the ten to be with my family more. And she's just like, I mean, talk about jets on her heels. This girl just never stops. I mean, so I thought she was like, you know what, no. I'm actually impressed with you that you had the, you know, the nerve and the wisdom to dip out for a little bit, you know, to do the right thing. We get so like mixed up in what we should do and what people think of us that we don't always make the right decisions for our lives and ourselves. And at the end of the day, who cares? You don't get that long on the earth. Right. And she was like, but you know what, Meredith? I mean, that's fine if you want to step back for your family, but you need to do something else too. Like she was like, Frankly, we all live on Instagram twenty four seven. It's the first thing you open in the morning. A lot of us, and the last thing you, you close at night. She's like, you need to be in this space today. She's like, I challenge you to launch a newsfeed. Doesn't have to be perfect. I was like, oh, but it's going to be crappy, and I don't have graphics. She's like, who cares? Just play in the space, and people will admire you for trying something and grow it organically. Ask people what they think in that space, and just do it. I mean, just do it, you know, in the fear of, like, not being cool or not being perfect, or my sister saying, I mean, you're, like, a top, you know, five anchor in a major market, and you're doing this dumb little Instagram thing on the side, you know, those kind of things can hold you back, but just doing it, right? Just, like, do something different um, in a different space, and maybe it'll fail. Maybe there's, like, no point in it, but gosh, I've learned a lot, and gosh, I've met a lot of people, including your wife, you know, in my direct messages, and, and just the God, I've just learned so much. Who knows where that will take me down the road, right? Maybe I'll be able to understand my own daughter's Instagram account at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Anyway, i rambled, but, but, you know, that was, life is full of lessons. You never stop learning from people like that.
1: Well, I, and I think that's, you know, it's funny because we're kind of tying it all back together. The beginning, I asked you about the the perspective and and drawing stuff from from decisions and and whatnot, and even a, I, you know I hate to say a simple decision, but uh, I guess what could be looked at as a pretty linear decision of taking your responsibilities for the ten o'clock news and uh, and and eliminating them for family turned into something that's that's not linear at all. And 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 from a conversation and how it's all developed. I I think that's great. It's great for me to hear. And I I hope it's great for people to hear that, uh, you know, kind of what you just said that, you know, you, you, you learn, you, you try things, you, you take advice, you get perspectives, you talk to people you admire and and good things can come from that.
0: It's so true. And I think fear just holds us back. You know, it's like you get to this place in your career and you're like, but I'm this person and I have to hold you know, this standard, or this is what people think of me or expect of me. I mean, throw all that out the window and just don't have ego about it. And, and don't let fear hold you back because the more you let yourself diversify, right? I mean, you ask Emily Jones this, she's the queen of it. Um, you just never know where things will go and the people that you'll meet and the people that want to help you. People are generally good. Um, and so for me, I mean, I'm just a girl from like a small little bubble in South Carolina that I guess just kept forging ahead and had the nerve to go for it, right? I'm not that I'm pretty average student. <laughs> I wasn't a straight A student and I, you know, was a little quiet mouse coming along. So I guess I'm the the example of the sky's the limit, right? <laughs> <laughs> he-
1: Meredith, I, I gosh, I have, I have plenty more questions. I'm not going to ask them all, uh, but I, I do have to end with this. And I appreciate you taking the time, certainly more than than I asked for. Uh, you mentioned Emily Jones, and I, I, I we weren't going to hang up without me asking about Emily, who uh, is a close friend of yours, and and you know, a, a close friend of mine. But also, she's one of the people that that I go to when I have questions or I need advice. And and I, I don't know where I would be uh, without her guidance and and her support. Uh, and I'm just curious, I, I, guess there are a lot of different angles I could take with, uh, your relationship mm-hmm. with Emily Jones, but if I'm not mistaken, when you, it was either when she first moved to Dallas or you first moved to Dallas, you, you all lived together. Uh, we did. and I'm just curious, like how to, to have someone like Emily be so close to you from, uh, I guess, a, an early stage of your time here. Uh, how important is that was that relationship then, and and how important has that relationship been for you as you know as you both have gone on to achieve so much?
0: Well, I mean, she has been the biggest blessing. She was my first roommate when I moved here just by chance. Um, I just started at Channel Five on the weekend mornings, and I had I needed a roommate. And I saw this cute girl in the parking lot, and I was like, "Hey, are you on an interview?" And she was like, "Yeah, I'm here to interview for this like sports job. I'm totally stressed out." I was like, "Well, good luck. If you get it, I mean, you look normal and cute. So if you get this job, I need a roommate." She's like, "Oh, me too." And so we exchanged numbers. She didn't end up getting the job at Channel Five, but she ended up getting the job at Fox uh, Southwest, uh, which was just as wonderful. And obviously, here she is in Rangers fame now. But. Um, so we became roommates. I mean, you know, back then you could just trust people. And, um, I think as young female journalists and she's sports and I was news, um, we just kind of thought that the road would be a certain way. This is the way it is. You know, you looked at the main anchor in my station and you saw the track. Emily was one to just do it her way you know, she was one to not, to pitch a different way to management. If this isn't working, I mean, she was a hard worker and always had her hand raised and never said no. I mean, knew knew the, the sports, <laughs> I'm like the sports from top to bottom, you know, she had the goods, but she was never afraid to do something differently. And you look at her today, she's got all these side businesses, she wasn't afraid to walk away from the Rangers at one point for her family. And they figured out a deal to where she could make it work within the season. I realized, you know, the value in her is not just what's on air and what people see. And the friendliness that, you know, when you see her in the stands and she, there she is, she's like, she'll come up and hug you and say, Hey, um, George W. Bush loves her. I mean, just top to bottom, people just adore her. Um, but also just her relationship with the players. And I think the organization realizing she's like the mom around here. Like that's a huge value in itself is to have the ear and the trust of these players and, and to guide them in ways. Um, and she has along the way and so she's made herself, this is just my opinion, so valuable beyond the microphone, you know, beyond the TV presence, but, but also in life, you know, and, one of her colleagues passed away suddenly, had a young family, um, and she created this whole charity just to help the family pay their bills, do it for Durrett, you know, you know about this. Of course. And so I just think she's an example for me, and we're the same age, of just like, just, I don't know, I mean, just be all things, do, do well, make good choices, you know, make good friendships, make those real. Um someone's hurting, help them. Help them in a, in a big way. In the big way you built your career, help them in that way. You know? And I don't know, at the end of the day, I've chills talking about it, you know? That's what you want to be remembered for, you know, is, is the things that you do for people. And she has that heart and I think you see that heart in her broadcasting too. So She's a tremendous person and I am grateful to have gotten lucky to live with her and have her in my life. And if I'm ever, I tell you what, when I was thinking about giving up the 10, I called her, called my mother and I called her. She lives in Fort Worth. I live in Dallas. We don't see each other a lot. She's the one I call because there's that wisdom, you know, and that been there quality. And I mean, she walked me through the whole thing, helped me create my social media around it, all of it. Um... Just because I trust her, you know, I, that's just, she's one of the greatest people I know. God, I'm being way too nice about Emily. She's going to be like, oh boy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can't but imagine I mean, the that. response that you're going to get from this,
0: <laughs> but I mean it. You know, she's a rare one. She is a rare one.